the best in the world. I've been the best ever since day one on this microphone, in that ring, even in commentary. And trust me when I tell you, I am the hottest property in this industry today. Nobody can touch me. The only thing that's real is me, day in and day out. I am the best in the world. Do I have everybody's attention now? What up, people? Welcome to another edition of the Salty Thoughts of Donnie U podcast. Featuring the one and only Donnie U. Best in the world of what the fuck he does. Donnie is not in the greatest of moods. Partially because of my shoot job. I refrain from getting into specifics about my quote-unquote shoot job. But said shoot job really kind of left me dangling. Dangling like a dingleberry. If anybody doesn't know what a dingleberry is, Google it. And that's how I'm feeling like. It matches my mood. My mood is real shitty. With that being said, this episode is going to be a potpourri of bullshit. Probably going to talk about the Knicks, sprinkling a little nets, talking about my beloved JETS 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 Jets, and the comings and goings of those amazing Mets. That and much more on this edition of the podcast. Also, beginning with this podcast. I'll be dropping on Saturdays for the foreseeable future. That's right. I'm changing days. Why? Don't really know. But I figured, being the fact that football season's over, and really, the reason why I would drop them on Wednesdays so I can review the past week and preview the fu- the the which going the, the week coming. Being the fact there's no more football except for the Super Bowl, I don't need to do that right now. Only thing going on is fucking basketball. And basketball, they're playing like damn near three, four times a week. So no matter when I drop them, I can talk about it. Plus, Saturdays, end of the week, figure, give the masses something to listen to on their nice, quiet Sunday afternoon. Yeah, sprinkle some salty thoughts in your Sundays. But yeah, I'm dropping on Saturdays for the foreseeable future. But you know what you can do? So it wouldn't matter if I made an announcement I'm changing days or not? On whatever platform you're listening to me on, there's probably a subscribe button on there. You press the subscribe button, anytime I release something new, you'll get a notification that your boy Donnie is back on his shit. So yeah, Press the subscribe button. And with all that out the way, let's get this shit on the road. Good night. And goodbye. Bang. Well, since the last time you heard my voice, 
that means the Mets have been in the news. They've been in the news for controversial reasons. First and foremost, the dude that they uh, hired to be the GM is no longer the GM, Mr. Porter. Mr. Porter, <laughs> his past came back to bite him in his ass. Mr. Porter, in his past, it was discovered that uh, he harassed slash sent numerous inappropriate texts to a former beat reporter of the Chicago Cubs trying to get with him. You know, trying to get some skirt, trying to get some ass. The way he went about it was real distasteful. And I guess he wasn't really upfront when it came to the interview process and or the Mets didn't do their due diligence, but I'll give them kudos on this. As soon as they found out, they promptly canned his ass. And his little Peter that he was sending pics of. So, once we realized or figured, well, all right, fine. This must be a new era. Because if it was the real pawns, they would have dragged their feet. Probably drew, the, drew, drew out the whole situation longer than they need to be. And probably tried to make some justification on why they probably wanted to keep said high because uh, they probably didn't want to pay him. Steve Cohen, our new owner, who I'll get to in a very few minutes. He said there was going to be a zero tolerance policy when it came to the team. For any employees and or players of the team. And he kept true to his word. And as soon as the news came out and got confirmed, his ass, Mr. Porter's ass, was on the unemployment line. Now, the other bit of news when it came to the net, I mean to the Mets of the controversial variety is our illustrious owner, Steve Cohen himself. Over the last week or so, could I keep my ears to the streets? There's been a whole bunch of stuff going on with the stock market. Now, I'm not going to get into the particulars of it because a lot of shit is probably over my head. But the gist of it is hedge funds, or should I say a hedge fund, decided that they were pretty much going to try to come up on GameStop. Yeah. The same GameStop that on Friday, let's say I purchased a copy of NBA 2K21 for $65. And then let's say I decide to finish the game in the half in, in over the weekend. And I'll take it back to that same very that very same GameStop. And they'll offer me $5 for the game three days prior that I spent $65 for. Yeah, that GameStop. Pretty much the head fund was trying to bankrupt the GameStop through the stock market. And a group of Reddit users, Reddit stock traders, decided to come together and make a quick fortune off the GameStop, off the GameStop stock that was being shorted on by the hedge fund and pretty much cost the hedge fund billions of dollars. 
Meanwhile, the Reddit users came up off it. Then we got into, there's an app, I believe, called Robinhood, a Robinhood app that um, is primarily geared toward everyday people trying to uh, get into the stock market. Being the fact that the hedge hunt, the hedge fund, was losing money, they decided that uh, they were going to put a wrench in the game to quote-unquote even the playing field, meaning the haves get to still have and the have-nots no longer trying to join the haves. That's the best That's the best way I can explain shit. Once again, if you need further ex explanation over it, Google it. It's on everywhere. Mr. Cohen made his fortune as an owner of, he of a hedge fund. So, I guess one of his former employees or one of the one of the people behind the hedge fund that lost billions of dollars. So, being the fact that Mr. Cohen is worth what fifty billion dollars or some shit like that, he gave the hedge fund about one or two billion dollars. Then he's very active on Twitter, so he got into a back and forth with the owner of Barstool Sports, Mr. Dave Partnoy, or whatever the hell his name is. And uh, a lot of Mets fans, or should I say Mets detractors, turned on Mr. Cohen because in this argument, he kind of fell on the wrong side. Now, if he's going to continue being as active on Twitter as much as he wants to, being the fact that he's owning my beloved Amazing Mets, he needs to, he needs to slow his roll. Because you don't want to alienate a fan base that you're pretty much beholden to being the fact that you own that team. I didn't find anything really wrong with what he did. Because if that's my man, and my man's up, which is pretty much swimming up Shit's Creek with no paddle, and I can help him out. Go help him out. Whatever's going on really has nothing to do with me. I'm helping my man out. And by in the, and in the way if I'm helping my man out, when he get back on his feet, guess what? I'm going to make some more bread. So it's a win-win for everybody except for the ones that are on the opposite side of the conversation. So I say that to say this. Mr. Cohen, Mr. Steve Cohen, owner of the New York Mets, just please keep the team out of any unnecessary controversy. That's all I ask. Spend your money, buy these players. Trevor Bauer, I'm not really sold on for the price that he's asking for. I believe Trevor Bauer is asking for about $36 million a year. Off of one Cy Young. We currently have a back-to-back -back Cy Young winner at the top of our pitching staff. That's making... Way less than $36 million a year. Who also is probably up for an option renewal after this upcoming season. And if I have a choice between Mr. Bauer and Mr. DeGrom, Jacob DeGrom that is, I'm taking Jacob DeGrom each and every time. Now, Bauer wants to come on a discount. 
let's say 25, 20, 25 mil. All right, fine. I ain't giving them more than two years. I'll give you two years at 50. Take it or leave it. Because right now, our rotation consists of the following. We have Mr. Marcus Stroman. We have Mr. Dick Jacob DeGrom. And necessarily not in this order, because Jacob is always first. We have Mr. Carrasco. We have Syndergaard when he comes back. We have Mr. Peterson. We also have Lugo that we can either make a starter or keep him in the bullpen. We upgraded the bullpen. Right now, there's really no spot for Trevor Bauer. We can always make a spot. If he wants to be our number five starter, by all means. Wants to be our number four starter, by all means. But you're going to get paid number five, number four starters. Money. Spring training is opening in a couple weeks. And I guess we'll find out the verdict on this uh, negotiation. Because $36 million for someone that is a good pitcher, but ain't a great pitcher, I'd rather use our resources in a more diversified means. Whether that happens or not, who the fuck knows? But um, that's my take on it. This week, it was announced formally, officially, that Deshaun Rodson had requested a trade from the Houston Texans. Why am I bringing up Deshaun Watson from the Houston Texans? Because I'm a Jets fan. That's why I'm bringing up Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson is 25 years old. He just completed 70% of his passes this past this past season. His team was 4-11-1. But the reason his team was 4-11-1 is partially because of the now departed head coach Bill O'Brien who was acting GM and pretty much got rid of a lot of his weapons. Weapon number one, DeAndre Hopkins. That pause is because as, I, as I've mentioned before, my memory is shit. So I'm right in the middle of a sentence and all of a sudden I just really blanked on his name. Go figure. Anyway, not only that, he made a trade with the Miami Dolphins for Larry, Laramie Tunzel, left tackle. But he gave entirely too much in draft capital, and he pretty much effed up their cap. Not to mention the ownership situation, the whole corporate situation going on in Houston, in Houston has alienated. Sean Watson so much that he said in no uncertain terms that he will not play another down. He will not take another snap from the Houston Texans. So with that being said, the question is, should the Jets give up the farm to give them? And my answer is yes. Enthusiastically so. Why do you ask? Well, as I said in the past, 
it gives the new regime in Robert Sala, Mr. LaFleur, the brother of Matt LaFleur in Green Bay, it gives them the opportunity to hit the ground running. We have 70 million in cap space. We have two first round picks this year. We have two second round picks this year. We have two first round picks next year. So we have the cachet that would be needed for the New York Jets to acquire him. Now, being now that I have my train of thought right, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna which go say this to begin with. I'm gonna be all over the place with, with this segment because I'm gonna try to incorporate a whole bunch of shit. Number one, and this is slightly off topic, but still concerning about the Watson Jets connection. We really need more black voices in the New York media, specifically sports talk radio. We have WFAN, who I actually stopped listening to a while ago. Tell you the truth, once Tony Page went into retirement, I went into retirement listening to the fan. This is their lineup for the day. In the morning, you have Boomer and Geo. In the midday, you have Maggie and Moose. Then you have Carton and Roberts. Not one voice of color to be seen or heard. ESPN New York is not that much better, but at least this is their lineup. You have the early, early morning show, Canty, Rothenberg, and DiPietro. Probably not in that order, but you get the gist. Nationally, you have Keyshawn, J-Will, and Zubin. A lot of color there. Then you go to Greeny. Then the newly national, Barton Hahn, Bart Scott, former linebacker of the New York Jets. Yeah. Then you go into Max Kellerman and the Michael K show and Chris Carlin, who, which go those two shows, the K show and Chris Carlin, love them. And then at night you have Larry Hardesty and his partner, Gordon Damon. So pretty much all throughout the day, you have some type of black perspective coming through the airwaves. What made me say this was they had a conversation on the Michael K show yesterday concerning the potential of Deshaun Watson being traded to the New York Jets. And Michael K discussed how he felt that it was a little bit sketchy that Mr. Watson signed the contract, received what the hell? Signed the contract, received his guarantee money, his, you know, a signing bonus, and then pretty much one season later, 
or less than nine months later, pretty much wants out. That's his prerogative. My thing is, if the man has explicitly, explicitly said his problems with Houston and the fact, or should I say the lack of diversity, the fact of being him being the franchise quarterback and he asked for input and they pretty much blatantly ignored him and he started noticing the situation that was growing around him and he said look no 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 I went out then you have former players in the New York uh, of, of the Houston Texans Andre Johnson the best wide receiver in their history come out and say Sean needs to get out of there Richard Sherman who never played in Houston once again, said Deshaun needs to get out of there. J.J. Watt, on tape, last game of the season, they have him saying to Deshaun Watson, walking off the field, man, I apologize for us wasting a year of your career with what's going on. So why does he not have the right to say, well, y'all sold me a bill of goods, so I signed this contract, and then afterward, request the trade. Whether he gets traded or not, unfortunately, he doesn't have control over that. But he does have control over if and when they do trade him, where he's allowed to be traded to. But it goes full circle when it comes to Michael K saying, well, you know, he signed the contract. So if it was me, I would just let him rot. Say that about a New York Yankee? Any New York Yankee? Doubt it. Would he say that about... Is he saying that about Aaron Rodgers? Who hasn't publicly asked for a trade, but pretty much is saying, well, you know, the money that I signed for is no longer enough. Is he saying that? Is, is, is the same energy coming out there? No. And, and, and don't get me wrong. This is not the cast aspersions on the character of Michael K. Not at all. But I do see the discrepancy of when it comes to a black quarterback and the bad, bad man. And Rodgers. Both of them are under contract. Both of them do not like their current situation. One has been more vocal about it than the other. The other has been more passive aggressive like, you know, they tend to be. The fuck is the problem? But this also goes into the current mind state when it comes to sports. You ever notice that whenever said team is going under a rebuild or they have to pretty much dig out of the mess that the previous regime has caused, you know, and they have no intention or or, or no dreams of being contend or being a contending team anytime soon. You know who they usually turn to? That's right. They turn to the minority. You know what? Here's this piece of shit team. Here's this piece of shit situation. We're going to give you your first opportunity. And then when you fail, which you're pretty much being set up to fail, when you ultimately fail, then 
that's all they need to say, well, you know, he wasn't qualified. He didn't deserve that job. Or matter of fact, look at his past record. Look at look look what he did with said team. He couldn't bring him out the trash. So therefore, he's not eligible for another opportunity. I could go down the line of examples. And coincidentally, there's currently three examples in one city. And what's the city we're talking about? We're talking about Houston. We got the Houston Rockets, owned by Tillman Fatita, or Fatiti, as I like to call him. He is what I would describe as fake rich. He has a lot of assets, but he has no liquid capital. So a lot of times he's trying to do things on the cheap. So he went all in last year with James Harden, Russell Westbrook, traded Capella after which after, after he gave him a contract, and they flamed out in the playoffs, as predicted. He didn't want to give D'Antoni any more rope to hang himself, because D'Antoni was in the last year of his contract, and it was more like a make-or-break deal. They flamed out, D'Antoni was gone. Maury sort of writing on the writing on the wall and was like, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to retire. Or I'm, matter of fact, I'm going to step away and spend more time with my kids, i.e. look for the next opportunity to jump on. And Daryl Morey is now the president of basketball operations with the Philadelphia 76ers. So in this place, being the fact now you're cap strong, then your star player and James Harden decided that, yeah, I ain't fucking with y'all no more. I went out. So, what do you do? Or should I say, what does Fatiti do? Fatiti hires a black GM and a black head coach in Steven Silas. Why? Because now there's no expectations on the team. Now you really have to be ingenuitous in trying to get the players that are needed to compete in the tough Western Conference in the NBA. Another example where, tell you the truth, it's kind of backfired, if that was the intent, it might not have been the intent, is in the NFL, the Miami Dolphins. Prior to this past season, last season, they got rid of Adam Gase, who unfortunately became my New York Jets head coach, they got rid of him, and they hired Brian Flores, formerly of the New England Patriots, minority black head coach. They also had a black GM. And you know what the plan was supposed to be? Wink, wink. The plan was supposed to be they were going to strip everything down and build it back up. Just so happened that Brian Flores... I believe they really underestimated his skill, his leadership, and he got six wins out of a team that the first two weeks of that season 
was going down as being the worst team in NFL history. They traded they traded Minka Fitzpatrick. They had Ryan Fitzpatrick as the quarterback. And everybody thought they was tanking for two. Until Brian Brian Flores like, no, we're not playing to lose. We're going to implement my system. We're going to change the culture around here. He galvanized the players. And they pulled six wins out their ass. Where they had no business to be. And guess what? They ended up with Tua anyway. Instead of picking number one, I believe they picked number five. And Tua fell to him. Due to the miraculous ascension of Joe Burrow that season during the draft. So now, Miami's actually a place where players want to go. Where the media is actually giving them credit. And that's all due to Brian Flores. Success story. Then we go back to the other end of the spectrum. Back to the NBA. We had, matter of fact, back to my New York Knicks. How about this timeline? We have, we're going to go back to 2010-2011. Where we had Mike D'Antoni as the head coach. Him and Carmelo butted heads. He didn't want Carmelo. Carmelo didn't particularly want D'Antoni. Carmelo was the new guy. D'Antoni was a remnant of the regime. D'Antoni got canned in favor of Mike Woodson, black head coach. Mike Woodson got approximately a season and a half. In that season and a half, when he took over from D'Antoni, he got them into the playoffs where there was a borderline pick to get into the eighth, eighth slot. They got into the playoffs. The next season, they won the division, won 54 games, got to game six of the second round, where they got eliminated by the Indiana Pacers. This is when LeBron was still in Miami. That's how far back this goes. LeBron been on, LeBron, LeBron's been on two teams since. The following season, it kind of fell apart. They didn't make the playoffs. And Woodson was gone. So that was what? One, two, two and a half seasons. That's what Mike Woodson got. You know who got rid of him? That's right. Everybody's favorite Zen master, Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson took over. And we commenced to be in a hole that we're just now digging out of. Phil Jackson fucked up the draft. Pretty much him coming into the New York Knicks with a money grab. He fucked up the draft. And less than a week after he selected Frank Nilakina over Donovan Mitchell and amongst uh, a bunch of others, he got let go. Now, who had to pick up the mess? Mr. Steve Mills, who was the general manager slash president of operations. And then he hired his staff, which was Scott Perry, who's still in the position of general manager. And he hired David Fisdale. 
And in a season and a quarter, David Fisdale, I believe, didn't even reach 25 wins. Steve Mills was kicked to the curb. And now we have Thibodeau. We have Leon Rose. And we have the famous World Wide West running the New York Knicks. But you notice when, when we hit rock, rock bottom, they decided, you know what? We're going to give all the blacks all the power. So therefore, if there's any negative feedback, they catch the, they'll catch it. And we'll just hit our lumps, get our lumps. And then once there was a speck of light, we're going to replace them. I'll give the Knicks credit. They didn't go, they didn't fully whitewash the, the, the what's called the, the hierarchy. Tibbs is a respected man. Perry's still in his position. Leon Rose, respected among players. I can see, I can see where they was going because they needed to get some type of credibility back to the organization. Yeah. That's how it usually goes. Fair? Hell no. Hell no. I mean, we can even go back to the radio part. Bart Scott was on WFAN. He had a program with the aforementioned Maggie Gray and the aforementioned Chris Carlin. CMB. That's all we got. I actually... Like that show. They took over for Mike Francesca. And guess what happened? When Mike got tired and figured nobody is listening to me on my bullshit app. I want to get back on the airwaves. They unceremoniously cut CMB in half. So instead of having their four hours that they thought they were going to have, they end up having two. Then, being the fact of, of course, Maggie, Bart, and Chris, kind of pissed off. They pretty much let them know, like, all right, take it or leave it. Two of them chose to leave it. Bart and Chris. Maggie, I believe, she wrote, she wrote her, which goes, she's riding her contract out. And her contract is about to end. And she's probably going to go elsewhere also. Because they needed a woman's voice on the on the fan. Fan ain't shit. But they gave them that position primarily because of Bart Scott. Bart Scott left ESPN to go go to the go to WFAN for his own show, and then they pulled the rug out from underneath him because the all-knowing Pope wanted his spot back. And Bart's like, look. I ain't thirsty for any money. I'm good. I'm Gucci. I can get a job elsewhere. And he went back over to ESPN. And then they got mad. The, the fan got mad because he, he he really didn't have that much space between. And I guess they felt like he owed it to them. He ain't owing shit. Because you, had a, you gave him a position and then you took it from him. So he went back to where he knew he was going to be appreciated. 
It goes over and over and over and over again. I'll even give one more example. And I actually really wasn't going to plan on talking about politics. I'm not going to really talk about politics. But listen, listen real closely. In 2007, we had almost another one of those Black Mondays, right? The housing market crashed, stock markets was crashing, everybody was losing their 401ks, people were losing their houses, or should I say, they were unexpectedly in a position that they weren't familiar with. You know, as a black man in America, I'm very, very familiar with that position. You know, the position of not being able to achieve what you wanted to achieve due to circumstances beyond your control. All right, I'm just going to wrap it up like that. So, that just so happened to be an election year going into 2008. And you know what happened in 2008 when our country was going through an economic crisis. You know who they turned to when the current regime was in was in place of Bush and Cheney for eight years and brought us into wars and we had Katrina and pretty much New Orleans, Atlanta, a lot of the co the, the, the Gulf Coast states were struggling people lost their houses, people lost their homes, people lost their lives. You know what happened in 2008? You guessed it, if you're following the theme of what I'm talking about, when the country was at rock bottom and they had no place else to turn because they knew, okay, well, it can't get any worse. Guess who they put in office? Obama. Yeah. So, first, pretty much his first four years were very familiar. Very similar to what happened to sports franchises. His first couple years was spent digging out from up under the rubble, the mess that the previous regime had caused. And then... Once the country got back on his feet, once the country got a little more stabilized, and he got into that office for the second for a second term, for a second four years, the establishment said, you know what? We back on our feet. We gotta get this motherfucker out of here. And I really didn't want to use the word motherfucker. I really wanted to use you know what, but as I said before and I say it again, I might have said that word maybe once during this podcast century and I ain't gonna say it you could think it because that's exactly how I'm thinking but I ain't gonna say it because I have a very multicultural listening fan base and I don't want anybody else feeling comfortable enough to say that word but that's pretty much what it what it, what it boils down to is yeah we gotta get this motherfucker out of here matter of fact the motherfucker's about to leave but we ain't helping him no more because we we back on. And then that kind of led to four years of Mr. Dump, Mr. Orange, 
Mr. Piece of Shit. So there it is. Smack dab in your face. Now, you would think that that was going to uh, loosen up the loosen up the chains, so to speak. NFL this past off season had seven. I count them: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven head coaching openings do you know how many went to a minority one and you know what team matter of fact backtrack scratch that two two one is my beloved JTS Jets 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 with Mr. Robert Salah a Lebanese descent and Mr. David Coley the newly announced head coach of the aforementioned Houston Texans. 65 years old. Never been a head coach. Well, I should say never had the opportunity of being a head coach. And he is taking over a team that is now franchise quarterback, 25-year-old Deshaun Watson, wants nothing to do with. He's also taking over a team that is that are in cap hell. Basically, no expectations. So, Mr. Coley, this is job for you. If I'm 65 years old, and I've been in the league for however many years Mr. Coley's been in the league for, and you finally get that opportunity, I don't begrudge that man for taking it. But I'm quite sure he knows he's being set up for failure. Being the fact he's 65, let me get this on my resume, and then I'll probably ride it into the sunset. If by chance I pull off a miracle, great. If I don't, kind of expected. Got my payday, I'm going to retire. Fucked up, ain't it? One more example. The Houston Astros. Last season... Or should I say, seasons before that, they were implicated in a cheating scandal. Matter of fact, they were caught red-handed in the cheating scandal. They ended up having to fire the head coach and, well, fire their manager, fire the general manager. And they brought in Dusty Baker. Going into a season that was affected by the pandemic that's still going on by the way going into a season where you knew or should I say the world knew this team was going to have a bullseye on his back getting all the cat calls cheater cheater yeah boom who did they get off the scrap heap Mr. Old Dusty Baker They got to, did they get to the, they got to the ALCS, right? Yeah, they did. But the difference is, he actually had a team. It was the extenuating circumstances surrounding the team that made him 
the man for the job. Bunch of bullshit. Bunch of bullshit. Give you one more example. It might not fall into the same category. But I'm gonna pull this example out, and maybe if you if you agree, let me know. If you disagree, let me know. Holla at me. We just had four years of dump, right? So Kamala Harris was actually running for the seat of president of the United States. Biden pretty much won the primaries. And who did he decide that he needed to guarantee victory after four years of dump? That's right. Not only a minority, he got two in the same basket. If you want to get technical, three. She's black. She's Indian. And most importantly, she's a woman. Hot damn. And guess what? They won in big, huge fashion. Because the country had just <laughs> went through four years of almost being turned into a fucking communist, fascist, whatever the fuck you want to call shithole country. <laughs> you know what the first thing she <laughs> it was on her plate oh yeah we got hundreds of thousands of people getting infected every day we got thousands of people dying every day we have a congress that's divided based on the fact of one half of congress tried to have the other half of congress killed Yes, Madam Vice President, take us out of this dark time. Bunch of bullshit. Now with the rest of whatever the fuck I was about to say. The New York Knicks stopped their three-game losing streak last night behind 25 points from Emmanuel Quickly, and they beat the Cleveland Cavaliers. Don't remember the score, but I know we won going away. Now, where does that leave us? I still believe, matter of fact, let me start like this. I officially take back anything, anything that I've ever said nice about Efred Payton. Fuck him. He needs to get off the team. He needs to get out the state. He needs to get out the country. Because Efred is a fucking bum. And the quicker and the faster that Mr. Thibodeau discovers that, realizes that, and nails his ass to the fucking bench, the better the New York Knicks will be. But what the New York Knicks truly need, and it's the ongoing saga, it's the ongoing search that's been going on for damn near forever, Think about it. When's the last time we had a fucking point guard? Really? And I'm not even going to count a little too much we had Chauncey. Because, you know, they threw him on the scrap heap. When, I got to think. In my lifetime, as a New York Knicks fan, I'm 44 years old. 
been following the New York Knicks since actually basketball was the last sport that I started following. So I started following the New York Knicks in like 86. 85, 86. Cause I remember watching the lottery where we where we got awarded Patrick Ewing. But since then, when have we had a point guard? We've never had a point guard. We had Mark Jackson for a cup of tea. And then for some reason they got rid of him. Because we had him and Rod Strickland. Then, in the snap of a finger, we had nothing. And we continued to have nothing. We had Glenn Dock, Glenn Dock Rivers for a cup of tea before he tore up his knee. We had Derek Harper on his last legs, but he got us to the finals. We had Charlie Ward, who was actually a football player, but decent point guard. We had Marbury, whose famous words in her New York Knicks uniform was, bitch, get in the truck. <laughs> we had Jeremy Lin for Lin Sandy for like three weeks. We had Bibby, we had Baron Davis, both on their last legs. And yeah, when's the last time we've had at least a top tier point guard? Matter of fact, top half of the league point guard. We've never had a point guard. So, Mr. Quickly, he's our most effective point guard. Because he's the only one that can get into the lane, drive the lane, and distribute and run the offense. But he's a rookie, so he's not going to be consistent at all. And until we get a point guard, we're not ever going to see what potential Obi Toppin truly has. Because he is the classic player that needs a point guard to unlock his skill. And until that happens... We're always going to be struggling because we have a whole bunch of threes and fours and no ones and twos. Or we have a one that's just not properly seasoned yet. But the potential is there. The potential is there. Now, transitioning over to my Golden State Warriors. They're 10 and 9 right now. And the scuttlebutt is going on that um, they're looking... Perhaps Trey Kelly Oubre. A potential deal that's on the table is Oubre going to New Orleans in return for Lonzo Ball. I was talking to my son the other day. And I was actually surprised, pleasantly surprised, of I always thought that Lonzo was about 6'3, 6'4. Lonzo 6'6. You bring Lonzo into the Golden State system. To me, he replicates Sean Livingston. Almost to a T, except the fact of he doesn't have that, you know, that, the post-game yet. But right now, the way Oubre is playing, I really believe he psyched himself out. And he will not be effective for the Golden State Warriors. I don't know what's going on with a shot. But I know it just seemed to me. Just from the games that I've watched. His basketball IQ. Doesn't fit. At all. There's one clip. And I was actually shocked to see it. But there's one clip. 
that shows Steph coming off a screen. Oubre's already in the corner. Steph did his classic reposition, act like he's about to go to the screen, and slips the screen to set up for the handoff. Oubre never vacated that space. Ended up, in, I believe, in a turnover. And Steph was so demonstrative that I was shocked. Like, wow, he, Steph really just lit him up in front of everyone. Pretty much waved his hands and like looked at him and, and, and yelled, MOVE! And I think that's what Golden State's going to end up doing. MOVING HIM! They're still in the playoff hunt. I mean, there's only like 20 games in the season. I really hate micromanaging games. But being the fact that football is about to end, baseball hasn't begun yet. Yeah, I'm going to micromanage this shit. Do I believe they're going to win the play? Uh, they're going to get in the playoffs? Yeah. They'll probably be a 7 8 seed. Unless they totally collapse. But right now, what I believe they need, they need more than anything, shooting and scoring. Wiggins is very consistent. He's not going to blow you away right now, but he'll guarantee, you're guaranteed to get 20, 20 a game from him. And he's playing pretty damn good D. Steph is Steph. Draymond, a lot has been said about his actual numbers, but you can see the impact he has on the game. Defensively. Offensively. He takes a lot of pressure off Steph. He puts Wiseman in the proper positions. Both on offense and defense. He's almost like a second coach on the team. On the court. Would you love more production from him? Of course you would. But look at the first three games of the season. Without Draymond. And look at the rest of the season. With Draymond. Dramatic difference. Might not always show in the wins in the win column, but primarily there's a, at least a handful of games of their 10 victories. If Draymond wasn't there, they wouldn't have won. Wiseman, he's getting there, but once again, he's a rookie. Rookies are famously inconsistent. But the ceiling on that boy, people be talking about fucking Kristaps Pozingis as a unicorn. I believe Wiseman is really the true unicorn. He could step out, pop out for a three. The stroke is great. He's developing a little post game. His defense is getting there. He just had to stop the silly fouls. And more importantly, he has to try to not to get into his own head too much. Once he gets that figured out, I'll, I'll say once he gets that this first season out the way under extenuating circumstances, no preseason. No training camp. Playing through a tra- pandemic. He could get through this season healthy. Sky's the limit on Wiseman. That brings us to another edition of the world famous, world renowned, hardly ever listened to Salty Daughter Donnie U podcast. A little disclaimer. Even though this is at the end and y'all don't heard the shit already. 
But a little disclaimer. The reason, the sound quality from the beginning of the podcast was nice and clear, and then toward the middle to now was kind of a little muffled, is because I'm actually practicing wearing a fucking mask. My current location. It's very, very essential for me to wear a mask. Being the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic, and I don't know who I might be able, who I might have to come in contact with, I'm choosing my right to wear a mask to protect my ass. Speaking of which, when I talk about masks, you know one thing that comes to my mind? Salty Door to Donnie Ooh merch. New collection available now on teespring.com. Teespring.com slash Salty Door to Donnie Ooh. At Teespring, you can get yourself a Salty Door to Donnie Ooh mask. New designs available. Also have t shirts. Hooded sweatshirts, mugs, and a new, a very, very new item that's available. Phone cases for your Samsung or your iPhone. All available at teespring.com slash saucy daughter Donnie O. I'm wearing one of those said masks right now. And if it sounds muffled, that means it's doing the fucking job. I also want to let y'all know that um, my Super Bowl predictions will be next week. I have a pretty good idea who I'm choosing, but you never know who might pop a positive this coming week. And it might change my selection. Because you know, we are in a fucking pandemic! So with that being said, please, please, those who choose to get vaccinated, get it. Those who choose or have decided, you know what, I ain't going to get it, stay the fuck away from me. And those who choose that, you know what, I want to see exactly what's going to go on and, you know, maybe I'll take my time and get it maybe a month or two later, so be it. But one thing, it has to be a constant. Keep your fucking distance. Put on a fucking mask. Wash your hands. Wash your ass. And a whole nine. There's a reason why I have an attitude when I say that. But I refrain from saying it. Because it might put me in a doghouse. Not that I really give a fuck. But just to avoid any type of tension, I'll leave it at that. I'm going to stay with my mask. Everybody should put on their mask. Even when you're around people that you think you know. If they ain't, your, they, if they ain't in your household. Yeah, I said ain't. If they ain't in your household. Guess what? Don't come to me fucking maskless. Because that's like fucking being naked. And you can kiss my ass. Well. With that public service announcement out the way. 
And this is supposed to be the outro. Next week, I'll give everybody my Super Bowl predictions. Whatever news comes out about my Jets, Mets, Knicks, Warriors, so forth. I'll talk about that shit. And, um, yeah. I think that's pretty much it. Oh! Before I forget, tomorrow, for all my wrestling fans out there, WWE Royal Rumble. I really, 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 really meant to have a segment devoted to the Royal Rumble. But like I've said before and I said it again, I can't talk about wrestling on this podcast if I don't have anybody to bounce thoughts off of. And being the fact I'm a procrastinator to the nth degree, I was supposed to talk about these issues with uh, one of my sons and one of my daughters who are crazy wrestling fans such as yourself, such as myself. But I didn't reach, I didn't get the chance to do it before, quote unquote, go time. So, I will give you my Royal Rumble predictions. The lineup goes as following. You have Roman Reigns defending the Universal Championship against Kevin Owens. As much as I want Kevin Owens to win, everybody know the Tribal Chief, Roman Reigns will prevail. Newly added. SmackDown Women's Championship match. The Blueprint. Sasha Banks. Goes against stink-ass Carmella. Sasha all the way. Goldberg. Or should I say Oldberg. Would challenge for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Currently held by Drew McIntyre. With... The Miz and Morrison with the money in the bank contract hanging in the balance in the background. So, my prediction Oldberg will lose in less than five minutes. The Miz will try to cash in. And Drew will kick that motherfucker dead in his face and retain his championship. But the two main events are the Royal Rumble itself the men's and the women's. Not gonna go through all the participants because we don't even know who the all the participants are yet. So I'm just gonna go with my gut feeling. I'm gonna give you two options for the men that I would be content with. Option number one, first and foremost, Big E. He deserves it. He's worked his ass off. You, you, you which go? You want to give him this fucking push? You want to put the IC belt on him? Let him, let him take the next step. Do you really have anybody else to challenge for Roman lined up? I doubt it. And if that's not option, if that which call option number one doesn't work, we're going to go with option number two, and that would be Daniel Bryan. D. Bryan. Now for the women's, my two choices are the following. First and foremost, Bianca Belair. I think it's her time to shine. And I really believe that if they give her that opportunity, she would take make the most of it and run with it. Because she is a track star. Option number two for me would be Bailey. Because I believe the feud between her and Sasha ended way prematurely. And I feel like you still have some more gas 
in that tank. And that would be a WrestleMania-worthy match if they don't choose Bianca versus Sasha. Now, I'm hearing through the back channels that it could be Rhea Ripley. It best not be fucking Charlotte Flair. But those are my predictions for the Royal Rumble. Hopefully, one of these fucking weeks, I will actually have a wrestling segment on my podcast. But like I said, I can't do it by myself. Or should I say, I'm not going to do it by myself. Because I know the majority, there's a majority of y'all that don't really give a fuck about wrestling. So to hear me be monotone talking about wrestling will get very old very quick. But if I have somebody to bounce my ideas off of, I think I can make it very entertaining. And maybe even cause you to give wrestling a chance. But, yeah. And damn, I'm looking at the time. This outro has been way too fucking long. So... Peace and blessings to all, and to all, good night. Goodbye. Bye.